Take your Bibles, if you would, please, this morning and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 in your Bibles. We have been considering over the past weeks the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. We know that He was indeed dead, killed on a Roman cross, and yet He rose again on the third day, alive. And that He appeared, showed Himself to His disciples on that first day of the week, the first Lord's Day. But, He did not ascend back into heaven on that day that He arose. He stayed on earth for a time and did a number of things that we have recorded in the Scriptures. In fact, look with me here in Acts chapter 1, at verse 1. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs. This tells us that he showed his disciples and others by many convincing proofs that it was him It was Jesus who indeed was dead and was raised again. Convincing proves. Unfortunately, we have very few records or scriptural teachings to show what he did, what these convincing proves were. We do have this one, if you would look back to John's Gospel in chapter 20. Remember, the first Lord's Day that he was raised from the dead, he showed himself to his disciples, but Thomas was not there. Thomas was absent. The next Lord's Day, the next Sunday, it's eight days, but you remember in the Jewish calendar, you would include the last one and the next one. So it was the next Sunday. Jesus appeared to his disciples and Thomas was there. And we look at verse 27, and he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here with your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. That's a convincing proof. Imagine that. He showed him his hands that had the scars or the holes where the spikes had gone through and his side where the spear had pierced his heart. Can't get away from that. That's a convincing proof. Now go back to Acts chapter 1. Now it says that he did appear to them, but we know that he did not appear to them continually. That is, it's not like he was always there, always with them. It was like he would show himself, even as he did with the two men on the road to Emmaus. He would show himself to them, and then he would be gone. He would disappear. He would appear in their midst, and he would be gone. And he would show himself again, and he would be gone. 
but he did show himself. And look at what the text says, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. First of all, he was teaching them about the kingdom of God. That's great. I wish we had all that he taught them. We do have some. But here it says that he was appearing to them for a period of 40 days. So prior to his ascension into heaven, following his resurrection, and prior to his ascension, he appeared to them for a period of 40 days. That is a very strategic biblical time. A strategic biblical time frame. It's an interesting number used often in the scriptures. Some of you will know about these things. You'll remember them. I found this interesting as I was doing my research on this text that uh, rain fell for 40 days with Noah and the flood. Rain fell for 40 days and the flood was on the earth for 40 days. Moses was up in the mountain before God for 40 days. We also read that the spies who were sent out by Moses into the land of Canaan were there 40 days before they returned. 40 days Goliath stood before the troops of Israel and taunted them before David slew him with his little slingshot and those stones. For 40 days, Elijah went in the strength of the food that the angel of God prepared for him and gave to him. Ezekiel was to bear the iniquity of the house of Judah for 40 days. Jonah went and stood before the people of Nineveh and said, Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And of course we know that our Lord Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. And he was in the wilderness without food or drink for 40 days. And there he was tempted by Satan during that time. A significant number used again and again in the scriptures and here once again, showing the continuity of the Word of God, the text tells us that Jesus was there before His disciples for a period of 40 days. This was what Jesus did during that time, speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. I can't take time to go into this right now, But that's a good text to let us know that the kingdom of God is not something that's going to happen later on in the future in a millennial reign. The kingdom of God began with Jesus and the cross. And that's what he was there teaching them about. The kingdom of God is here now. Now what we are doing and have been doing, what we began last week and will continue to do for some weeks now, is to look at some of the things that Jesus taught his disciples. Some of the things that he did as he was there among them in his resurrected body. 
We're looking at the biblical texts to see these things. I'm not going to speculate and tell you the things Jesus might have done. We really don't know all that Jesus did. That's why I read that passage from John chapter 20 and chapter 21, where John says, we didn't write down all that Jesus did. It would, it would take the whole world to contain the books to tell everything that Jesus did. But we do have some of the things that he did. And we're looking at right now chapter 21 of the Gospel of John and Jesus' appearing to them at the shore or at the Sea of Tiberias. These are the things that are important to us Not speculation. There's a movie out, I believe, right now, uh, dealing with, I think the name of it is The Young Messiah. It's all based on speculation as to what about a a, a 13 or 15 or 14-year-old Jesus might have done. Well, that's not in the Bible. I'm not going to tell you about what Jesus might have done. I want to show us from the Scriptures what it says He did. And learn from there. There's enough there to keep us occupied for a long time. And here we've been looking at predominantly Jesus' appearance on the shore. Reminding you that this was probably in the neighborhood of three weeks after his resurrection from the dead. And he's there at the Sea of Tiberias, which we mentioned last week was the Roman name for the Lake of Galilee, or the Sea of Galilee. We looked at Jesus' care for his church by giving leaders. Jesus knew that he was about to go back to the Father. He was no longer going to be there to guide them and to tell them what to do. So the leaders of the church needed to make sure that they were ready for him to return to glory, to be no longer fishers of fish, but fishers of men. Because when we see them here, they're back going fishing. And so Jesus has to teach them, you're not supposed to be fishing for fish. You're supposed to be doing what I taught you to do when I first called you. Be fishers of men. And it was at that time that they left their nets and their boats and their families and they followed Jesus as he taught them to be fishers of men. So we see here in this text that he gives them a new fishing lesson. He supernaturally fills their nets with fish again in verse 6. They had such a great haul because of the number of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards, dragging the net full of fish. And of course you know the account that they get to the shore, and here is Jesus with a fire of charcoal. And uh, he says, bring some of the fish that you have caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of fish, 153, and though there were so many, the net was not torn. Now, 
If you caught 153 mullet in your net, you think it might just be too many? Probably too many. Couldn't bring them up. Now here we have an account so detailed that it gives the number of fish. And yet people say the word of God can't be true. We can't believe it. We can't trust it. Details like this are included in the word of God in many places. Daniel read to us a little while ago from Ezra and the detail that was included in the letter that was written. These are historic facts included in the scripture. And here, 153 fish, the number. Now, why would they know that? Because they were fishermen. And they would count. And they would hold them up and take pictures and things, right? (laughs) Especially with the big ones. Throw the little ones away. But this is what they did and they knew. And we have this complete record of what happened. But the point is that they recognized Jesus. And here he was at the shore. And from this, after they ate their dinner, Jesus shows his care for his church by instructing its leaders. Instructing our leaders, the leaders of the Christian church. Now we left off talking about the fact that our Lord dealt with Peter this way. And we looked at verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, remember, he didn't just jump on him and complain. He treated him with dignity and respect and love. We know that he had already seen Peter on at least two or three other occasions. And here we have him talking to Peter After they've eaten, the text says, he said to Simon Peter, Simon. He called him Simon. He didn't call him Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him in verse 16, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him in verse 17, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And we made the point last week, That Peter had bragged about how, even if everybody else falls away, I will never leave you. And so he says to him, Simon, do you love me more than these? It was more of a statement than a question. You think you love me so much? Well, they all fell away, including you. And you denied me three times. So three times Jesus asks him, Simon, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus, of course, did know. He knew his heart and he knew that he loved him. And we made the point that what a great opportunity that was for Peter to tell Jesus he loved him again. Because remember, when he denied him, he was crucified and he might have thought he would never be able to have this opportunity. But because Jesus was risen, because he's alive, because he appeared to them, Peter was even able to say, Lord, you know, I love you. And you and I have that opportunity day by day to go to the risen Lord and tell him that we love him. Because he is the risen Lord, because he is alive, he does hear. Today, I want to pick up from there and go on to see the things that Jesus says to him in this teaching, in the lessons that he gives to Peter 
in this passage. And again, I want to stress the point that here is Jesus. And here's how we know what Jesus is doing. He is preparing them for the work of the ministry. He's preparing not only Peter, but the others that were with him. He's preparing the other ten that were there as well with Peter. Some people say that here's how we know that Peter became the first pope. That's not, that's not accurate at all. Our Lord is training not only Peter, but also the others who were there with him. And what I want for us to see is what he says to them. You know, in the Old Testament, God gave reams of instructions and carefully laid out laws for how the scribes, or I should say the priests, were to go about their duties. All the kinds of laws that the priest was supposed to do. Priest was supposed to do this. Priest was supposed to do that. Here's how you do. Here's how you do the offerings. Here's how you check whether somebody has a mold in their house. All these things that the priests were supposed to do were laid out for them in the Old Testament law. Jesus in the New Testament came himself. God came and dwelled among men. And Jesus himself taught them for three years. Here is what you're supposed to do. Watch me. Learn from me. Here are the things that you're supposed to do. And now, just before he goes back, ascends back to glory, he's showing his disciples, this is what you are supposed to be doing. You are supposed to be And he tells Peter, if you love me, verse 15, tend my lambs. Tend my lambs. The word lambs, and you'll notice in the other two verses he says sheep. The term lambs depicts a little one, a younger a more tender little one of the flock. And that, of course, he's not speaking of a literal lamb. He's not speaking of a literal little sheep that he wants uh, Peter to now go and take care of sheep, literal sheep. He's talking about little ones in the flock. And what he says is to Tend them. Now, I don't really believe that the New American Standard is a very good translation here. Because the Greek word is basko, and it really means grazing. The root is from grazing. So what he would be saying is, be grazing my lambs. Be grazing. And what that means is giving them good food. Sending them out and giving them good food to eat. Particularly little lambs need to have good nourishment and good food to grow up to be strong and healthy sheep. And so he says, be ye grazing my lambs. These little ones. Now again, He's not talking about literal bah, sheep or lambs. 
cute little lambs. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about younger, more tender little ones in his church. Now, why would he say that first to Peter? I want you to take your Bibles and to look back to Luke chapter 18. Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. Here in Luke 18, I'm asking you to turn here and look down to verse 15. And they were bringing even their babies, their infants, little children to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. Now, who were the disciples? <laughs> well, you have to kind of imagine Peter right here, right? You know, Peter, he's always in on everything. Hey, get away from him. Get those kids out of here. Trying to protect Jesus from the kids. Get those kids away. And this is only one passage like this. But look what Jesus says. But Jesus called for them saying, Permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. So then, what a great picture. Here's the picture. Some of the people are bringing their little children for Jesus to bless them and to, to sit on his lap, perhaps, to have him hug them. And some of the disciples, and we don't know for sure that it was Peter, but you know Peter was there. You know, and they say, get away, get away with those kids. And Jesus goes, no, let the little children come to me. Let me just say this, kids. Jesus loves children. We sometimes sing that little hymn, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Why did we sing that? Why did the people say that? Because Jesus did love the kids. Jesus was a very busy man, very busy, had all of the people pressing against him, wanting to be healed, wanting something from him, wanting to be fed, all that they wanted. You could see in several instances, multitudes and multitudes coming after him, wanting to be healed. In one instance, at least three days they were with him there and he was healing them and healing them, thousands and thousands healing them. But in the midst of all of that, he always had a heart for the kids, for the children. Let them come to me. You've got to be like a child when you come to Jesus. I didn't have this in my notes or anything, but you all know what that means, right? You know, we have all kinds of people who think they're macho guys. And I'm going to do it my way. Sinatra sang that song, you know. I did it my way, yeah? Well, that, that's like, my, I'm going to do it like this. What is a child? A child is, is, is totally dependent. Totally in need of, of, of everything. I think this morning, I think of Daniel's little girl, home there, sick. She can't help herself. She can't feed herself. She can't even put herself to bed. She can't change her diaper. She can't do anything without mommy or daddy. Totally dependent. And so, too, is the man or woman who recognizes and realizes that they are a sinner 
And there is nothing, nothing that they can do to save themselves from their sins. They are every bit as much enabled to save themselves as that little girl is able to feed herself, change her diaper, put herself to bed, totally dependent upon someone else, the mom or dad. And the sinner is totally dependent upon the Savior Jesus. I cannot save myself. There's nothing that I can do that will save me from the wrath of God. I am dead in my trespasses and in my sins. And unless God does something, I will remain dead because there's nothing I can do to change it. And it is God who in mercy reaches down and saves us. And this is what Jesus is talking about. This is the attitude we must have. And the church is just changing that all around. The church is making it, you must decide to come. You must make a decision for Jesus. If you take one step to God, then he'll reach down to you. Little kids can't do that. Dead men and women can't do that. We are totally dependent upon a sovereign loving, merciful God. And so Jesus says to them, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child cannot enter it. But don't miss the reality that Jesus loves kids. You kids here today, you can go to Jesus in your prayers and ask Him to be merciful to you. And save you. He will hear. He will listen. Now we go back to our text in John chapter 21. As here Jesus tells Peter and the other disciples. Don't ignore the little ones. Don't ignore the weak ones. Who may be in the flock. Take care of The lambs, and this is what he says, graze them, feed them, care for them. Make sure you don't miss the little ones that are in the flock of God. Now, let's take this into today's kind of language, in today's time frame. We have churches, and churches are made up of all kinds of people. It is the job of the pastor to make sure that he does not ignore the little lambs at the expense of the, let's say, full-grown sheep. You got all these sheep going, come on, give us some meat. Feed us the good, solid, deep theological food, pastor. We want the hard stuff. We want the deep stuff. We want the good stuff. And then you got some lamb over here who's been saved for a couple of weeks or months going, what? What do you mean by that? And I I confess, I learned this early on in my Christian life, in my preparation for the pastoral ministry even, where we had some professors in the 
church that I attended. They were professors in the school that I was attending, and they were in the church that I was attending, and they were teaching the uh, Sunday school class or other classes. And I'm sitting there going, wow, this is good. I love this. This is great stuff. I love this. And I didn't even know that all around me were people going, what is he talking about? And I didn't learn that until some of them told me that they didn't even understand what this professor was teaching for weeks because they were just little lambs and they didn't understand or know. It's a hard job to tend the flock of God. It is a hard job to try to make sure that you don't leave the lambs behind while you're still trying to teach the theology students. And I confess, I don't know exactly how to do it, but I try. we got to make sure that everyone in the flock of God is learning and growing, becoming mature in the things of the Scriptures. And so here, Jesus our Lord is telling Peter, don't miss the lambs. Don't leave the little ones behind. Don't teach the flock at the expense of these little ones. Because, you know, their their feet are only like that. They're short. And where the rest of the sheep are, their feet are like that. And and the the sheep are going along. And meanwhile, the lambs are back there because they can't keep up. Make sure you feed the lambs. Make sure you take care of the little ones. Now, what would that mean? It doesn't just mean children. We do want to make sure that our children learn. We at Grace Church will never have a children's church because we believe that children need to learn how to worship God. That's what we are doing. We are worshiping God, singing praises to Him, studying His Word, And we want the lambs, the little ones, to come in and to understand what that is like. To learn how to worship God is one of the greatest lessons you can teach your children. And I've got to confess that we have one of the greatest examples of that that I've ever seen in my life right here. That little girl has been sitting in this church since she was one year old. That little girl, what were you, two or three? She'll think of it in a minute. <laughs> but this family has taught their children, their, their, this family has taught their family to worship God. And that's the most important lesson that you can give your kids. They'll hear the word, they'll hear the hymns, they'll hear these things, but they'll also learn how it is as a Christian to worship God. Not to be entertained, not to hear music, jokes, not to have the preacher come down and give little individual special lessons before they go to children's church, but to learn how To worship the living God. Don't leave the lambs behind. Now it's not just kids though. 
As I said, oftentimes we have those who come in among us who have perhaps been saved for years, but untaught for so many years. Or perhaps we have some that are new converts. You have to make sure that the flock is being fed. I believe this is all what Jesus is telling Peter. Take care of my lambs. Take care of my lambs. Now here's another thing also that could be included here. We never know who is and who is not saved. And so when you talk about the lambs, he could also be suggesting that Peter make sure you preach to a bunch of people that you may think are lost but are my lambs. That's why we have the mandate to preach the word to all men everywhere. We don't know who God is going to save. We don't know who are his lambs. And so we preach to them. We seek to feed them. And it's not, it's not games or stories. It's his word. I'm going to talk about what it means to feed and what the whole meaning of that is in uh, probably our next lesson. But he's talking about giving them truth. Giving them his word. Giving them food. The scriptures. And we'll see that again, as I said, more of that next week. We must remember to teach with patience. Patience from the pulpit. I am not always patient. I would love to see everybody perhaps on the same level or at least close. But I just know that doesn't happen. It's not the case. We've got a lot of kids here. And so not only do I have to teach and preach with patience, but some of you have to listen with patience. Because I know you know a lot of the things I say. And you go, oh, there he is talking about that again? He keeps repeating himself. Well, to you it is, but to some new ones it isn't. And to some little lambs it isn't. And so we have to be patient. Now, speaking specifically of Peter, do you think that was his nature? I don't see Peter as a very patient guy. That's why I think, as we looked at that text back in Luke 18, that Peter had to be the guy doing it. (laughs) Come on, get away from here. Get away from Jesus. Clear the way. And Jesus says, let the little children come to me. I said earlier, I don't want to speculate. And I don't want to speculate. But you know, Peter is definitely one of the disciples. And you don't see his nature in the scriptures as being one who is patient. And yet Jesus is telling him here in this passage, be patient, be careful of my lambs. Don't miss my lambs. Let's move on to the next verse, verse 16. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him here, shepherd my sheep. Shepherd my sheep. Now I think the King James Version says feed my sheep. This is a totally different word. This is poimeno. 
And it's not at all the same word. And it is to rule or to govern. It is not to feed like the last passage was. And actually as the next one is as well. This is a different Greek word. And he's saying to them, rule or govern my sheep. And now he does talk of sheep and not lambs. So this would be more or less what we would consider the flock. The flock. So this is general leadership of the flock. Now I'm not so sure how much you may know about sheep. But sheep need shepherds. You know why there was always a shepherd of the sheep? Because sheep, much like children that we talked about a little while ago, don't do very well taking care of themselves. They don't know where to eat. They don't know what to eat. They don't think a wolf is dangerous. Sheep don't know how to care for themselves. They wander off. They stray. That's why shepherds have sheepdogs. To keep them from straying, from wandering off. And so Jesus knew that his church, we're not talking about little sheep now, but Jesus knew that in his church there would people, there would be those, all of those, who need a leader. We're going to talk about some more of this next week. But right here, God our Lord Jesus is saying to Peter, make sure that you and James and John and Matthew and Bartholomew and all of the disciples know and understand that you are to be the leaders in the church. That you are to be the one to take care of the flock. To watch over the flock and protect the flock. That's a charge I take very seriously. I have had to, on several occasions, kick people out of this church the day they came in. I mean, physically. We had one guy that came in one time, started espousing stuff. We said, there's the door. Get out. He thought he was such a righteous guy. He got on the other side of the door and he took his shoe off with his buddy and started wiping the dust off. I said, get out of here. You're not wiping the dust off from this church. We're wiping our shoes off from you. Get out. Because he was here with, he was espousing heresy. And I did not want him to infect the flock. One of the heresies he was espousing was this King James only stuff. Telling me, hey, you can't be preaching from a Bible other than the King James. Get out of here. Because you know right away there's something wrong. Shepherds are supposed to do that. It's part of what Jesus taught that his leaders would do. I ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 18, if you would, please. Matthew 18. Here in Matthew chapter 18, you understand and you know that we have our Lord teaching the disciples. And you know, this is prior to his death, burial, and resurrection. So these are lessons that they had already heard. But Jesus is teaching in verse 15 that if a brother sins, Go to him and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two or more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, 
every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile or tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. That popular verse is in the context of church discipline. Churches are supposed to do this. Now I can't take the time to go into this passage, but let me ask you this. Why are churches supposed to do this? To protect the flock from sin. To protect the flock from wolves. Paul said that when I leave you, wolves will come in. In sheep's clothing. I cannot tell you how many churches I have pastored where the wolves outnumbered the sheep. And I am not kidding. They all looked like sheep. They all went, but they were really, And the one they wanted to devour the most was me. But this is to protect the flock from the wolf. And so back in, in John 21, our Lord is telling Peter and the other disciples, shepherd the sheep, lead them, protect them. Because that was a big part of the job of the shepherd. I believe it was just last week we were talking about some of this in our Bible study hour. And we were, I drew a, a, a sheepfold up on the board. And predominantly a sheepfold was a, like a big rectangle or square or whatever it was. But it usually had like one entrance in or out. And the, the shepherd would lie in the entrance of the sheepfold at night and sleep there. Usually that was the hireling. That, you read John 10, you read all about it. But the, the shepherd or the hireling would sleep in the door of the sheepfold. And the reason he did that was for two purposes. To make sure that no sheep got out, because if they were leaving, they'd have to stomp on him. And he'd know, and he'd wake up. And he'd make sure they didn't get out. And the other reason was to make sure wolves didn't get in. To protect the sheep. Protect them from running off and protect them from danger of a wolf or a thief getting in to steal them away. This is what a shepherd is supposed to do. Feed the flock, lead the flock, protect the flock. And today we have as one man wrote in a book that I read years ago, predators in the pulpit. It's like now we have the wolves who are actually in the pulpit. Instead of shepherding the sheep, caring for the sheep, providing for their comfort and feeding them, we have men who stand in the pulpits and fleece the sheep. Give me your money. This is what the church has become. 
How can we get more money? So we can get a bigger building. So we can get this or that or whatever. And so we have predators in the pulpit instead of shepherds who are to guide, care for, and love the sheep. Now, this word, poimino, the Greek word, also carries the understanding of furnishing them with uh, food, pasturing them. It has that kind of with it. But uh, rather than talking about just having uh, food, he talk, he's talking here about guiding them, caring for them, as well as feeding them. And this is what a shepherd is to do. Now we'll pick up with some of this again. We'll finish up with uh, what our Lord says to Peter and to the other disciples here next Lord's Day. And I wanted to get on to a couple of other things. I wanted to get further. But I want you to understand this, that these are, these are important facts. These are important principles of God's Word that seem to be lost on people in churches today. They're not supposed to oppose the shepherd. They're supposed to follow the shepherd. They're not supposed to give the shepherd grief. Paul says some things about that in Hebrews chapter 13. They're not supposed to give the shepherd hardship or grief. They're supposed to follow the shepherd. Now it's true that uh, sometimes people do that in churches. We find that in, in churches all the time. But shepherds are supposed to be able to deal with it. They're supposed to be able to handle it. They're supposed to be the leaders. And sometimes it's, it can get ugly. And every time it, some, it hurts. But that's what shepherds do. They're to shepherd, to guide, to lead, to feed, to protect the flock of God. I'd say this. We need more shepherds. Genuine shepherds in pulpits. Genuine shepherds. And we're going to see exactly what this is all talking about. And we'll probably get through it next week. But he's not talking about Peter and the other disciples going from fishing to shepherding. Uh, Stop fishing for fish and go shepherd sheep. That's not what he's talking about. It is in regard to the church. And I ask you this morning as we conclude to think about your life as a sheep and what you do in regards to your church following learning and growing and hopefully even praying for your shepherd and we'll see that God will be raising up some shepherds in our flock in the uh, years to come let's pray